Just a reminder, this is part two of the episode titled Obsessive Jealousy. So if you haven't listened to part one, make sure you go back before continuing on because you really don't want to miss any of the details. So we're going to begin today's episode with a murder that explains the odd attack on Sheila's husband, Paul, which we discussed in depth in episode one. And it seems not only did Paul know too much to allow him to live, but he also was standing in the way of Sheila and her new obsession with a man named Nelson Sessler. Nelson was a man whose fiancé was brutally murdered five months earlier. A man who was on the doorstep of Sheila's home on the night she tried to murder her husband. Police would later discover he was there by invitation, a phone invitation. You see, when Sheila went outside to allegedly make that phone call to 911, she instead called Nelson to casually invite him over for dinner three hours later. She assumed that would give her enough time to kill her husband, hide his body in the guest room, and order a pizza before comforting Nelson. Sheila had been comforting Nelson for months after the brutal, unsolved murder of his girlfriend. Sheila even managed to accidentally run into Nelson on a flight to Las Vegas, thanks to her ability to listen in on his work messages, something we will discuss a little later in this episode. It was November 8, 2002, and Annalisa Raimundo was working from home when there was suddenly a knock at the door. Although she wasn't expecting anyone, she still opened the door and immediately recognized the woman standing in front of her. That woman was Sheila Davalu. Sheila was someone that Annalisa didn't know very well. It was strange for Sheila to be knocking at the door, because during her time working for Purdue Pharmaceutical, Anna barely knew Sheila and couldn't even remember speaking with her. Annalisa had recently left this company for another position at a different company where she worked from home several days a week out of her Ocean View condo she shared with her boyfriend, Nelson Sessler. So she no longer works for Purdue Pharmaceutical, which makes it even more strange to be knocking at the door. Once the door opened, Sheila lunged at Annalisa with a knife. Before Annalisa knew what was happening, she was in a fight for her life. The crazed woman was repeatedly stabbing her in the neck and face. Annalisa's face alone suffered nine stab wounds. Then the enraged woman picked up a 10-pound hand weight and began beating Annalisa over the head with it. She wanted Annalisa's life, beauty, and essence to be erased. Her mere existence was enough to put her into a murderous rage. After Anna was dead, Sheila calmly walked into Annalisa's bathroom and washed her hands, and tended to a large cut she obtained when her gloved hand slipped down over the sharp knife blade. Now, police became aware of the attack on Annalisa from a phone call that they first believed was placed by one of Annalisa's neighbors. And it sounded like a distraught woman was reporting an attack on her neighbor. The call began by telling the 911 operator that there was a woman attacked by a man at 123 Harbor View. Then she screamed at the operator that it was 105 Harbor View. She said, quote, the guy was in there and he attacked her. I heard yelling and screaming. And then, when the operator asked for a description of the man, the caller hung up. Police arrived at Annalise's apartment and found her apartment door slightly open. And just inside was Annalise's body, bludgeoned and stabbed to death. 
So the correct address was 123 Harborview Drive, and it was part of a luxury condo complex right on the waterway in Stamford, Connecticut. Annalisa's parents, both retired doctors, had bought the condo for her as a graduation present. Annalisa had attended Harvard University for her undergraduate degree and had obtained a master's degree from Columbia University. She took a job at Purdue Pharmaceutical, and it was there that she met her boyfriend, Nelson Sessler. However, unbeknownst to her, Nelson was also secretly dating another coworker by the name of Sheila Davlu. Sheila knew about Annalisa, but Annalisa didn't know about Sheila. Now, Nelson had his own apartment, but for all intents and purposes, he was living with Annalisa at her condo. When police arrived at the condo on November 8th, he was irritated that he was blocked from entering by police. Police told him that Annalisa had been murdered. Perhaps he was in shock, but the police were immediately interested in his lack of surprise. They asked him if he would answer some questions and placed him inside the nearby boathouse to wait. And when one of the officers checked on him, he had peacefully fallen asleep. As we all know, in true crime, the significant other or spouse is always the first suspect. And in this case, it was no different. And a sleepy Nelson, after finding out his girlfriend was brutally murdered, didn't sit quite right with officers. From the moment they began investigating Annalise's murder, something felt immediately off about Nelson. According to the recorded data on Nelson's keycard, he had a solid, unbreakable alibi. He never left the office that day after arriving, and he even ordered in for lunch. However, investigators thought he was being intentionally vague with direct questions. They asked him repeatedly if he had ever cheated on Annalisa, to which he repeatedly lied and said he was always faithful. Later, police would discover that just two weeks prior to Anna's murder, Nelson had slept with his co-worker Sheila Davalu. While Annalisa's friends and family believed that Nelson was close to proposing, Nelson made it clear that he had no intention of proposing to Annalisa anytime soon. He gave investigators the names of two women he had previously dated before Annalisa, intentionally leaving out Sheila's name. So, when Nelson's name came up in the attempted murder of Sheila's husband, investigators were immediately intrigued. They wonder if this was the break they needed to solve Anna's murder. They thought it was an unlikely coincidence that someone Nelson knew from work was involved in a stabbing just five months after his girlfriend was brutally stabbed and murdered. Early on, police had theorized that it could have been a woman who killed Annalisa based on the extended fight, brutal crime scene, and the stab wounds to her face, and also the female 911 caller that they were never able to find. Once again, they asked Nelson about his fidelity to Annalisa, and once again, he lied. He said Sheila was a friend from work, and sometimes he would go over there and walk her dogs for her when she was out of town. The police said they didn't believe anyone crosses state lines to walk a co-worker's dog unless there was sex involved. Finally, Nelson came clean. He said he had spoken with his attorney the night before, who advised him to remain quiet and not speak with the police. However, against that advice, he told investigators that he thought they should look into Sheila as someone who might have murdered Annalisa. Nelson had a casual, better-late-than-never attitude about the whole thing. 
He listened to the 911 call and said it sounded like Sheila, but he couldn't be sure. He told investigators that he thought perhaps Sheila was setting him up and planning to blame him for the attempted murder gone wrong on her husband. He said he wanted to cooperate and help and was willing to call Sheila in jail and visit her while wearing a wire. Sheila was still being held in jail pending the upgraded charges of attempted murder against her husband, Paul. Both Paul and Nelson tried their best to get Sheila to incriminate herself. But Sheila was masterfully careful with every word she uttered to them. She had written Nelson several letters addressing him as sweetheart, explaining that she loved him and regularly signed them love always. In one letter, she told Nelson she was happy he had told the police about them and she wasn't mad in the slightest bit. It is clear from the letters that they were meant for a larger audience. She was formulating a defense in the letters, hoping that they would be read by police and eventually a jury. It's clear that Sheila believes she's extremely clever and her motives are hidden. In another letter, she told Nelson that had she known he was planning a future with Annalisa, she would have stopped seeing him immediately and she felt sorry for Anna. She told him she felt sympathy for Annalisa and never harbored any murderous feelings towards his girlfriend. She repeatedly told Nelson she wasn't angry with him in the letters, but you can tell that she's filled with venom over his betrayal. Detective Carpentier would later say that the letters were classic Sheila Davalu. She made them all about herself. She thought Sheila's comments about not being able to stand the sight of blood were ludicrous given the fact that she stabbed her husband three times in the heart, leaving him covered in blood. Now that Nelson was finally being honest with investigators, he told them that at the time of the affair with Sheila, he didn't know that she was married. He was under the impression that Sheila was divorced and lived alone. After his ex-girlfriend had taken possession of their dog, Nelson missed having a dog. That's when Sheila got the same breed puppy he was missing and asked him to come over to her apartment when she was out of town to walk the dog. Nelson explained that he had spent many romantic weekends with Sheila at her home and never saw any sign that she was married or even that a man lived there. He was under the impression that Sheila had a mentally ill brother who would come and stay with her occasionally. If he ever saw something that looked like it belonged to a man, he just assumed it belonged to Sheila's brother. But there was an explanation for this, and it did involve Sheila's mentally ill brother. Her brother never came to Sheila and Paul's wedding because, according to Sheila, he would have been too upset if he knew that she remarried. So Sheila would ask Paul to have her, quote, brother, unquote, stay with her for a visit. There was only one catch. Paul had to leave the apartment for the weekend and take all of his belongings with him. Sheila would remove all pictures and force Paul to keep his things hidden in the guest room. When he left, he had to take all signs of his existence with him. At first, Paul was okay with this because it made Sheila happy, and he wanted her to spend time with her brother. Paul was also a doctoral student working towards his PhD, so he packed up his research materials, computer, and all other signs of his existence and checked into a local hotel where he was able to work on his dissertation. Other times, he would stay with his parents for the weekend, but it was happening so often that he was becoming embarrassed. He was basically living as a roommate with Sheila, and she would frequently make him leave their home on very short notice. Paul had finally put his foot down. 
He told Sheila that he would no longer leave his home to accommodate her brother. He told her that it was time to tell her brother about their marriage, and Sheila readily agreed. Paul was surprised by how easily she agreed, almost as surprised as he was the next day when she stabbed him three times in the heart. Sheila's brother wasn't the only issue in their marriage, and he wasn't the only reason Sheila tried to kill him. The more significant reason was that Paul knew too much to live. He might not have known what he knew, but if Sheila had left him for Nelson, he would have eventually figured it out. Hi, this is Chris Hart, host of Plot or Chris Hart. BetOnline is your number one source for all your baseball wagering info with up-to-the-minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. BetOnline has everything you need to stay up to speed on each league championship series all the way through the World Series. And don't forget, BetOnline is where you get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals for the NFL and college football right at your fingertips. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on all the action. BetOnline, where the game starts. It had to do with Sheila's fixation with three people at her work. She told Paul that she had a work friend named Melissa. She told him that Melissa was dating another one of their co-workers named Jack. The plot twist was that Jack was also dating someone named Annalisa. In Sheila's story, Annalisa didn't know about Melissa, and Sheila was seeking advice from Paul on Melissa's behalf. It got to the point where Paul was tired of hearing about the trio because it seemed like it was all that Sheila wanted to talk about. He tried to sound interested the first few times she brought it up, but eventually it bored him. The only upside for Paul was for a moment, Sheila appeared to be interested in her husband's opinion, or at least a man's opinion, even if that man was Paul. She wanted Paul to help her find the right advice to give to Melissa, but more importantly, she wanted to know how Melissa could make Jack love her more than he appeared to love Annalisa. After a few weeks of nonstop talk about Jack and Melissa, he was irritated by her fixation on the work-related love triangle. If you haven't figured it out by now, in this story, Sheila is Melissa and Jack is Nelson. Only Annalisa gets to have her name. Now, to keep Paul's interest, Sheila began describing Jack and Melissa's sexual chemistry together. She told him all about the frequent athletic sex they were having in ways that Paul and Sheila had never had sex. She described how Melissa would charitably wake up Jack each morning they were together with oral sex. She seemed upset that even after Melissa's sexual performance, Jack would still choose Annalisa. Now, if you're shaking your head in disgust about Sheila's story, we're both totally with you. By the beginning of 2002, Paul and Sheila were talking about Jack and Melissa daily as if they were close friends. She wanted Paul to tell her why Jack would date two women at the same time. She would repeatedly ask him, what is Jack getting out of it? She also wanted to know why Jack liked Annalisa more than Melissa, especially given Melissa's willingness to engage in, quote, kinky sex. When Paul would ask Sheila why she cared so much, she would become angry and give him the silent treatment for days. That's when Sheila's interest in this fictional love triangle strayed into the stalking area. Now, Paul, who was a self-professed nerd, had a high school interest in the TV show The X-Files. In fact, he bought a pair of night vision goggles looking for UFOs. 
Sheila explained to Paul that she was going to help Melissa stake out Jack and Annalisa and see if they were still seeing each other. Paul, who was happy for the quiet time where he didn't have to discuss Sheila's co-workers, was happy to lend her the night vision goggles. However, he became concerned when she bought a lock-picking set and several recording devices. She began using the kit to practice on her locks at home, but when she couldn't get it to work, she would ask Paul to help her. She was disappointed when she realized that Paul couldn't pick a lock either. She told Paul that Melissa planned to break into Annalise's house and hide under her bed so that she could listen to what they talked about when they were alone. Sheila explained to Paul that Melissa had figured out Jack's work phone password and was listening to his phone messages without his knowledge. It was from these messages that she was able to confirm that Jack and Melissa were becoming increasingly more serious. Yet, Jack would occasionally still sleep with Melissa, so Sheila explained that Melissa found it very confusing. In her world, she couldn't understand what Annalisa was offering to Jack that Melissa didn't do better. Sheila, or Melissa rather, had tried to place listening devices in both Nelson and Annalisa's offices, However, the devices weren't compatible with the office phone system, and they didn't work. Sheila was so obsessed with the fictional work-love triangle that she began telling anyone who would listen. She would tell all of her friends, all of Paul's family, and even her own family. She was hoping someone would have the answers on how the fictional Melissa could win back the fictional Jack. Sheila even saw a therapist and explained to the therapist that she couldn't concentrate at work because she was so obsessed with the coworker. She failed to mention to the therapist that she was married. Instead, she wanted the therapist to tell her how she could get her coworker to be faithful to her. Now, eventually, Paul told Sheila something she wanted to hear. He told Sheila that the pretend Melissa should confront the very real Annalisa and let her know that Nelson slash Jack was cheating on her. Paul told her if Annalisa continued to stay with the cheating Nelson slash Jack, the fictional Melissa should dump him. Now, Sheila liked part of Paul's plan. She liked the confrontation part, but she modified it just a bit. She modified the dumping part to murdering. Now, here's where things get dangerous for Paul. As a cancer researcher at the time, Paul happened to have an appointment at the same place where Annalisa got her new job. When he went to the meeting, there were apologies made by some of the attendees as they joined late. The reason they joined late was that they had just attended a memorial service for one of their employees who had just been murdered. Paul learned that that co-worker had formerly worked at Purdue Pharmaceutical with his wife, Sheila. Perhaps if Paul had just asked the name of the employee, he could have avoided three stab wounds to the heart. Instead, he went home and casually asked Sheila about Annalisa, Melissa, and Jack. Sheila had suddenly stopped talking about them. She told Paul that Jack had dumped Annalisa, and now he and the fictional Melissa were back together and happier than ever. Paul made a comment that he worried for a minute during his meeting that Melissa had killed Annalisa. Talk about a small world. Law enforcement believes that this is the moment when Sheila realized if she divorced Paul and wound up with Nelson, who had a dead, almost fiancé, that Paul would start to connect the dots. 
After listening to Paul's story about Sheila's fixation on this pretend but real love triangle, law enforcement knew that Sheila was the person who murdered Anna Lisa Raimundo. Now, they just had to prove it. But first, Sheila had to stand trial for the attempted murder of her husband. Something that wasn't going to be easy as they had hoped because Paul didn't want to see Sheila put in prison. Both he and his mother believed that Sheila was sick and that perhaps mental illness ran in her family. They wanted Sheila to be given treatment, not imprisonment. Now, it's important to note that while Sheila insisted Paul's injuries were accidental, later at trial, she would take on an insanity defense. The press at the time of Sheila's trial for stabbing Paul was all about Sheila's connection to Annalisa's unsolved murder. Knowing wisely that a jury wouldn't be able to separate the two incidents, Sheila chose to have a bench trial. That's when a judge decides your guilt or innocence rather than a jury. At the time of her trial, she was sure she could manipulate a judge easier than a jury. At trial, she testified on her own behalf and told the judge that while on the night that she was playing the game with Paul, a dark figure took over her vision and made her stab him. Sheila had no independent recollection of stabbing Paul. She insisted she wasn't in control of her mind or her body, and as a result, she couldn't be found guilty. Sheila described herself as having an emotional breakdown and secretly addicted to painkillers, even though this was refuted by Paul. She told the judge that she was hanging on by an emotional thread at the time of Paul's attack. When asked if she tried to murder her husband, Sheila stated, quote, Absolutely not. I mean, as far as my recollection serves me, I, you know, the world's a better place with Paul in it, and I know that, and I have always known that. I have known that for 10 years. I would never harm him, end quote. On cross-examination, when Sheila was asked if she was obsessed with Nelson Sessler, she denied it. She stated that their relationship was sexual only and didn't mean much to her at the time or presently. The only problem with her new assertion is that she had told the state psychiatrist that she was very much obsessed with Nelson as well as several other treating mental health evaluators. Her self-described sexual obsession was a matter of record. However, at trial, she changed her tune and stated, quote, I just never thought of myself as being obsessed with him because I kept getting tired of him. Despite whatever contradictory evidence the prosecutor came up with, including Sheila's statements on record, she would argue and deny anything and everything he asked her on the stand. She made a terrible witness on her own behalf. She denied making a phone call to Nelson Sessler inviting him to dinner while her husband lay bleeding and dying. Even though Nelson had already testified that she, in fact, called him, and her own cell phone records corroborated the call. The best part of Sheila's testimony was when the prosecutor asked her about the fictional love triangle that she discussed with her husband and friends. She couldn't recall any specifics and suddenly had memory problems. Eventually, she agreed she had a vague recollection of discussing the love triangle. Her testimony became ludicrous as she continued to deny things despite the overwhelming evidence to the contrary. After her testimony, Sheila had a mental health expert testify at the time of Paul's injury. She was in a psychiatric break and never intended to harm her husband. It was a trial of dueling experts. 
The Westchester County prosecutor also had an expert who testified that Sheila was suffering from borderline personality disorder with overlapping narcissistic personality disorder traits and was very much in control of her actions on the night she tried to kill her husband. The prosecutor's experts testified that it was Sheila who purposely stabbed her husband and not an evil, dark figure. The most compelling testimony came from Paul himself. Paul was a very good witness. He came off as professional, sympathetic, and genuine. It was clear he didn't have any animosity for his now ex-wife and only wished that she would get the help that she needed. In a matter-of-fact voice, he testified the events on the night of his attack. Hi, this is Daniel Roof, the Real GM Radio Podcast. It's a Texas showdown. The postseason and Bet Online is your number one source for all your baseball wagering information, up to the minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Everything you need to stay up to speed on each league championship series and through the World Series. Don't forget, Bet Online is where you have the latest game odds, present totals for the NFL and college football, plus real time updates on statistics, news, and odds. Serious up betting on football. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action at Bet Online, where the game starts. Paul's version didn't include Sheila's version of going into a catatonic state and a dark figure taking over her mind and body. The judge also heard about two other attempts on Paul's life. Sheila had gotten some prescription diet pills from her work and told Paul that they were vitamins and supplements. She insisted that he take eight to 10 of them before he exercised. He assumed that Sheila was telling the truth and he took all of the pills. His heart rate became so erratic and high that he almost passed out and had to be taken to the hospital and monitored. His blood work showed a high dosage of amphetamines in his system. He was very close to suffering a heart attack. Sheila insisted that her supplements had nothing to do with his condition and asked him to take them again the next night. The next night, he only agreed to take two. Again, he experienced symptoms of a racing heart and couldn't sleep for 24 hours. After that, he refused to take any more pills despite Sheila's insistence. It was only a few weeks later he would learn about the death of a co-worker at Sheila's work and her fun game idea, which almost resulted in his death. As expected, the judge saw right through Sheila's testimony and her expert witnesses. He found her guilty on all charges. Both Paul and his mother gave a victim witness impact statement asking for leniency for Sheila. They both believed that Sheila was sick and needed help rather than incarceration. And the judge disagreed. Sheila was sentenced to the maximum sentence allowed at the time under the statute, which was 25 years in prison. Later in prison, Sheila would be interviewed twice, once by Piers Morgan for his show called Killer Woman, and a second time with Oxygen Network for a show called Snapped. For the Snap show, Sheila no longer relied upon a dark figure forcing her to stab Paul. Instead, she pretended to take responsibility, saying it was an accidental stabbing that turned into self-defense by the time that she reached the hospital parking lot. In her interview with Piers Morgan, she was the most creative. She told Piers that the attack was self-defense. She said that she and Paul regularly played a game where he would punch her in the face and hit her. She said that while it was consensual, she began to feel like a battered woman, and it was self-defense when she stabbed Paul. Again, all she offered were ludicrous explanations. 
Her only consistency in both interviews is that she insisted that she never harmed or murdered Annalisa. Now she believes that Nelson killed his girlfriend, and with the help of law enforcement, they framed her. It would be another five years before she finally stood trial for the murder of Annalisa Raimundo. By the time the trial began, it had been nearly 10 years since Annalisa's murder. This time, it was a jury trial, and Sheila represented herself. During Annalise's trial, Paul was no longer sympathetic towards Sheila. He believed prison was exactly where she belonged. When she began questioning him, she was so stunned by his demeanor that she burst into tears and the judge had to order a break. When they returned, Paul shared an interesting story about Sheila having a horrible-looking cut on her hand that took weeks to heal and kept breaking open. At this trial, the prosecutor had a smoking gun. Sheila's blood had been found on the handle of the bathroom sink where she had attempted to clean up after murdering Anna. The prosecutor was also able to provide medical records showing that the day after Annalise's murder, Sheila drove into a walk-in clinic in the city and was treated for a deep cut on her hand. The prosecutor also had an expert witness who examined and tested the 911 call against Sheila's voice and came up with the conclusion that there was a 68% likelihood that the 911 caller was Sheila Davalu. However, the jury rightly dismissed this evidence as junk science, which it is. Instead, they went with their ears. They listened to Sheila speak for weeks as she acted as her own attorney in the trial. During deliberations, they listened to the 911 call again and concluded with 100% accuracy that Sheila was the anonymous 911 caller on the day of Anna's murder. The jury found Sheila guilty of Annalise's murder. The judge sentenced Sheila to 50 years in prison to run consecutively to the sentence for Paul's attempted murder. The earliest Sheila will be eligible for parole will be in 2075, which will make her 106 years old. After Sheila was sentenced, Paul made a statement that said, quote, After the verdict was announced, we all felt a collective sigh of relief. I was so happy for the Raimundo family that they finally received justice for Annalisa. It was a very painful ordeal for them, and the verdict and sentence were long overdue. Sheila had every opportunity to take responsibility for her actions over the years. Instead, she chose to deny it, remove her public defender, represent herself, cross-examine the Raimundos and myself, and actually enjoyed putting on a show with complete arrogance. She is a true psychopath that ultimately got what she deserved. Annalisa was a wonderful person, and I hope she can finally rest in peace now. End quote. To date, Sheila has been denied all of her appeals and continues to reside at the Bedford Hills Correctional Facility for Women in Bedford Hills, New York. We want to send a special thank you to those that support us through Patreon. Thank you so much. And this week, let's welcome four new patrons. We have Samantha, Sonia, Kelly, and Eva. Enjoy the ad-free lessons and bonus content. And as always, thank you so much for listening and be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening. You don't want to miss an episode. And if you're liking the show, please help support us by giving us a helpful review. Thank you so, so much for listening and hanging out with us. We will see you next week. Hi. 
Hi, this is Daniel Rue the Real GM Radio Podcast. It's a Texas showdown in the postseason, and Bet Online is your number one source for all your baseball wagering information with up-to-the-minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. BetOnline has everything you need to stay up to speed on each league championship series all the way through the World Series. And don't forget, BetOnline is where you get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals for the NFL and college football right at your fingertips. BetOnline has real-time updates on statistics, news, and odds. We're serious. Up betting on football? Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action at BetOnline, where the game starts.